Okay. Are you longing for a real life change and lasting impact? At More to Be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of More to Be, host of the More to Be podcast, and I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. On this episode, I'm excited to be joined again by Trisha Goyer. So she has been with us before, but in case this is your first time meeting her, I'm going to give you her official bio this time, or or the abbreviated bio on the back of her uh, most recent book called The Grumble Free Year. Uh, Trisha is a busy mom of 10, a doting grandma, a wife to John, a USA Today bestselling author. Trisha has published, okay, get this, 70 books and is a two-time Carol Award winner, as well as a Christie and ECPA Award finalist. She won the Retailer Best Award in 2015 and has received starred reviews from Romantic Times and Publishers Weekly. She's also on the blogging team at The Better Mom and other homeschooling Christian sites. Trisha is the founder of Hope Pregnancy Ministries and currently leads a mops group in Little Rock, Arkansas. So that's all the formal stuff, but the the reality is Trish is a mama and a wife and a friend and a sister in Christ who is as pretty much authentic as you can get. And so I'm excited, Trisha, to have you here with us today. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. It's awesome to be here. I always love talking with you. I know. It's it's really, we get the blessing being able to see each other face to face. And I might even take a clip of this and put it on the Facebook page so they can see that we're just two ordinary women talking about how to bring Jesus and the word and what he has to say to us into our everyday lives, which from reading through Grumble for a year, I know that that was really at the heart of it. But I would love for you to kind of set that up, tell our listeners about your family and what brought you to this place of doing the Grumble for a year, which the subtitle is really really helpful. 12 months, 11 family members, and one impossible goal. (laughs) Tell us about that. Okay. Well, um, John and I have 10 kids. We have three biological, and then we've adopted seven. And six of those seven we were adopted from foster care. So there's a lot of challenges that came with that. A lot of anger, just a lot of emotional stuff. They were in therapy for a long time. We've done occupational therapy and speech therapy and vision therapy. I mean, we've just done all the things. And we finally got to a place with those kids where we were more settled. So we were like in a routine, we were homeschooling. And so a lot of the big anger stuff, I won't say all of it, but a lot of the big anger stuff was a thing of the past, but there was still a lot of discontent in our home. And I realized, and John realized like, it's just this grumbling. It's like, no one's happy with anything. Everyone's complaining about everybody else. We're not taking responsibility. And we ended up going, I ended up speaking in Seattle. We live in Little Rock. I spoke in Seattle at a conference and they said, bring your whole family. We have a place for you to stay right on the ocean. So it was a 6,000 mile road trip, which when you're in a car with that many people, we had 10 of us on the trip. Um, my grandma stayed home. Uh, she's involved in the challenge too, by the way. But okay. we, she's 89. She'll be 90 um, just in a couple of weeks. Oh, so we're super awesome. love having her around. She lives with us. But we're on the road trip and we're like, something has to give here. And so here we are at a Denny's restaurant in the middle of Washington. And we're like, we sat him around. We're like, I think we need to try to go without grumbling for a year. And some kids were like, yeah, that sounds fun. And some kids were like, no way. There's no way we can do it. (laughs) And we're like, you know, this is something we want to work on. But we said anything like we're working on, like when dad goes to work, when mom works and stuff, there's a reward. So we're going to have a reward. Like we'll take everyone on a cruise, but you really have to work on it. So we just didn't want it to be like this passing thing where you try it for a week and then just kind of drop off. And then I said, you know, I'm going to record it. It might become a book. And one of my daughters is like, is an author going to live with us and record what we're saying? I'm like, hello, I'm an author. <laughs> <laughs> they, they forget. Like I'm totally just mom to them. Yeah. But that's awesome. Just putting that thing, like we're going to reward everyone with like a cruise at the end, just made it serious. Like we're, we're seriously going to do this. We're going to try this um, with our family. And so we just set out and I wrote this list of all these things I thought would work. 
And pretty much most of the stuff on the list did not work. But during the year, God brought other things into our lives and ended up being the things that really taught us about gratitude and being thankful and not grumbling. So what were some of the things, the initial things you put on the list that just didn't work? Okay, so one of the things was a gratitude jar. So um, I thought, okay, so we will have it where every time the kids grumble, that instead of the grumbling, they have to go write a gratitude. Like, that sounds really great, right? Yeah, it well, sounds fantastic. A, a little while in, one of my daughters, she was, I think, 12 at the time, was grumbling about something. And I'm like, you need to go write something in the gratitude jar. And she was already, like, worked up emotionally. She's like, I don't want to write anything for the stupid gratitude jar. <laughs> and I said, well, now that means two things for the gratitude jar. And so we just kept going back and forth. And she's complaining and grumbling about the gratitude jar. And I'm giving him more. By the time she was finally standing in front of the jar, she had to write seven things for the jar. Oh, and gosh. so then she's like, this is just dumb. And so she's scribbling stuff in and throwing it in. I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> like that did not work at all but later we figured out when we are feeling thankful like to just write stuff down so we will remember so later we ended up using the gratitude jar but in that moment like trying to get a kid when they're in the midst of mm. having an attitude to try to uh, not grumble and to be grateful instead I'm like this is not working and I think a lot of it too when I started I realized like I had to work on myself because oh. I'm grumbling about stuff and I'm complaining and I'm griping at them about the messes. And it's like, okay, how can I even teach them and help them if it isn't me looking at myself first and my attitudes and like letting God work on my heart? Um, so it, I think, you know, a lot of it, I just wanted to launch in these things. And God's like, hold on, <laughs> we need to like work on your heart first. So you were exposed pretty, pretty significantly, it sounds like, in the process. Like, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't ask them to follow what you weren't leading. Exactly. And I, and mine is I'm, and so I grew up in a home where people like didn't complain a lot, but it was more like the martyr thing. Like I wish someone help would help me. So it wasn't like to like outright grumbling, but there was a lot of like taking on a martyr. So for me, I'll be in cooking the kitchen. Like, oh, I wish I had some help. Like in my mind, I'm not even speaking it. But then by the end of the week, like after doing that all week long at the end, especially Fridays are like the worst day. Then I'd be like, look at this in the house. It's such a mess. And I'm like, I go from being this passive, almost martyr to complaining and grumbling okay. um, out loud to everyone. So it just made me realize like, okay, this is not healthy. Like looking back at kind of the way I was raised and realizing like, this is not healthy communication here. And yeah. so instead just start making, making plans like, okay, I'm complaining. How can we change chores? How can we change their responsibilities? Like instead of just being the martyr and complaining about these things. How can we change dinner time schedules and helping them cook with me? All these things that came back to me, not only looking at my attitude, but also looking at how to make positive changes instead of just like feeling like I'm alone in this. Cause you know, we can either complain and grumble, whether it's in our mind or with our mouths, or we can like figure out like, okay, I can do something differently. Yeah. Identify the obstacle. Mm -hmm. And then come up with a, a strategy to move through around <laughs> yes. over uh, that obstacle to the outcome that you really want. That's awesome. So uh, my brain's going in two different directions. I do want to ask you, tell me some of those strategies that changed dinner time and changed your grumbling. But when you were talking about your daughter and those seven times that she had to write something down before she could kind of do it it made me think of what I've learned about the brain. So since our last time that we've talked, I've gone through equine assisted therapy training with a trauma focus. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so the entire course that I'm being certified in is trauma focused, trauma focused equine assisted therapy. And we learn about the brain uh, from what's called the bottom up regulation, which you might know some of this stuff through the therapy you've been through with your kids. Have, have any of your kids done equine-assisted therapy? They have not. They've done um, cognitive-based trauma therapy. Yes. But, yeah, but no. But I'm like, I want to hear more about it. So okay. tell me about what so, you learned. Yeah. So in equine-assisted therapy, the reason it works is because uh, working with a horse can offer patterned, rhythmic, and, and um, regulating behavior. So when you're working with a child who's experienced trauma or an adult who's experienced trauma, trauma is that state of alarm that 
causes the body and the brain to go into survival mode. And so they're operating in fight, flight, or freeze mode, which is very similar to a horse that has not been uh, well-trained or desensitized to areas of life that would scare them as well. So it's interesting how God made uh, both human creatures and when it comes to horses, respond the same way in fear. Mm-hmm. So uh, in studying the, the horse's brain and the human brain, you could see some ways of nor- neurobiology, neuroscience that, that lead to possible solutions. So from a brain perspective, the base of our human brain is that fight, flight, and freeze location. So that's your brainstem. And then the next level up is your diacephalon, which is your sensory motor. And then the next level up from that, and this is really elementary descriptions of it. Neuroscientists would have a cow, but <laughs> the, the next level up is, uh, it's called the um, limbic system, which is your emotional connection, your passions, your fears. Uh, they, they reside in there as well. And then the top is your neocortex, which is where your cognitive ability happens. So when you're angry, you are functioning in your brainstem, fight, f- fight flight, or freeze. But when you start moving, and it, it could just be rocking back and forth, like when you rock a baby who's upset or when you take somebody by you know, the arm like, hey, let's just go for a walk. Moving them gets them into that diacephalon region. And so it moves them out of this muscled up brainstem response. And then when you start connecting with them by saying, I'm with you, I'm listening, I'm here with you, that can begin moving them up closer to the neocortex where they can answer the why. So when a kid is angry and you say to them, write down something you're thankful for, they (laughs) literally can't because that part of their brain is not functioning. And so, but you know, we don't know this as parents, right? If we haven't studied brain development or the impact of trauma, uh, it becomes a real issue. So the beauty of the story is that you, you, you were insistent, do this now, but you were humble enough to say, this isn't working. We yeah, we tried it one time. <laughs> that did not work. <laughs> so, you know, how many parents get stuck in that, but this has to work. And you were sensitive enough, I think, because you're well educated on working with kids with trauma of saying, okay, this isn't working. Let's change it to find something that is working. And so asking the kids to write down something they're grateful for when they're already in a state of gratitude mm-hmm. is a much easier process because their top brain is functioning and their brainstem is not engaged at that point in, in survival mode. Yeah, that is so good. And what, what we say now is um, when your emotional brain is turned off, your thinking brain, you know, when your emotional brain is turned on, your thinking brain is turned off. So they, cannot, they cannot process. And so it just yeah. helps me. And we even with each other, like one of the kids will yeah. get mad at each other and we're like, they're in their emotional brain not right now. You're not going to be able to explain your side of the story. Like in a little yeah. bit, when they calm down, we'll be able to do it. But yeah, just that emotional brain versus thinking brain. Right. And here I am thinking like on paper, this looks like a really good idea. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You not. have to respond to like that that child, that situation. We had a situation with my youngest who was having a complete meltdown. That was an emotional, like anxiety moment. She, anybody else would have said, what in the world? This is not a reason to have a cow, but she was having a cow. Mm -hmm. And I had just been coming through the first part of this training. And all I could hear was the Lord speaking to me. Don't ask why, don't ask why, Mm -hmm. don't ask why she cannot answer the why just touch her. And I, it's, that's not my nature as a kid who was abused, touch is my last source of comfort mm. and God is changing that in me. But I reached out to her and I, I, we were already both on the floor and I said, lay down here. And I started rubbing her back. And as I, you know, I was very particular about the amount of pressure and that it was patterned and rhythmic behavior. And in the, the training, they say, as soon as that person goes, <sighs> you know they've moved from the diacephalon up to the limbic system and you can begin connecting with them emotionally. Oh, wow. And so I'm rubbing her back and rubbing her back and she goes, <sighs> I'm like, oh, my word, it's happening. So, <laughs> then I was like, sweetheart, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm hearing that you're upset about this. I would love to help you move through this. You tell me when you're ready to talk about it. And she does. <sighs> and I was like, T- you know, why don't you tell me what's going on? She was finally laid out on the floor with me rubbing her back 
able to begin to use the words to express what was really feeling, which was anxiety. It was anxiety about an upcoming dance at school. Go figure. Right. Uh, and so it wasn't about the hair and the dress and the makeup. It was about social. It was social anxiety at that point. And we moved through it and came up with some strategies. And she, she sat up and she wiped her face and she, she carried on. But how many times in my parenting with the older girls have I, that's turned into a massive clash because their behavior seems irrational and I just want to talk them out of it. Absolutely. And I think going through this and like just focusing on grumbling, we see that a lot more with the kids that when we see the grumbling again, because we've talked about it, they know, like I could say you're grumbling when they're going and they just keep going. I always, like you're saying, there's some kind of anxiety behind it. Um, we just had this last weekend, my daughter's turning 12 and she just from the trauma base, there's a lot of new situations. It's almost like they want to sabotage like even birthdays. <laughs> I mean, anything that's yeah. like, it's just too much. And so we were on a walk the night before and she's like, I don't want to have my party. Just cancel it. Let's just not do it. And cause you know, she's like, I didn't get to invite somebody and they're going to be mad at me. And you know, I'm like, we picked your friends, we wrote them down, but there was no, like, she just kept going. And I could say, you are grumbling. We've talked about this. We worked on this for a year. I have a book about this. But instead I realized like it's her anxiety. Yeah. And I realized like, honey, let's just finish our walk. We could talk about it in a little bit. And just by the next morning, she was fine. If she's able to get walking, get the energy out. I told her to go take a shower, which helps her relax. She's able to go to sleep. And the next morning that anxiety had passed. But if I had tried to discipline her in the moment, talking about not grumbling, yeah. and I realized that even as we're walking, because she's been super disrespectful, kept grumbling. I realized she's so anxious about her birthday party tomorrow at the trampoline park. And it was totally that anxiety thing. Now I know I'm going to touch her and rub her back. And maybe we'll go faster than to walk in the shower. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was so, that's so helpful. Well, and it's helpful to hear you say even a year after, right? Because it's been a year since your journey that it this this wasn't the end all be all solution to abolishing grumbling in your house it it but it did accomplish goals so what did it accomplish yeah that's a good question so one of the things i think focusing on something for a year really built a foundation so, you know, we, we read through the whole book of Exodus and like, they're like, I am so tired of these Israelites grumbling <laughs> because it's chapter after chapter after chapter, you know, I mean, all the things that we talked about, we worked on, it built this foundation. So now I'll just have to say, is that grumbling? And they're like, oh yeah, I need that. And, and if they're in a the right state of mind and it's just a minor thing, then they're able to see their attitude and change. Or I'm able to catch myself. Yeah. If I find myself like wanting to jump into the, I'm going to grumble about this because the shoes are in front of the door again or whatever. I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that. I just need to remind my child like, hey, can you come put your shoes away? I mean, just, just having that year of working on it gave us this foundation. And then another thing that really, that happened during that year, which is something that was completely unexpected, was my grandma, um, who lives with us, ended up falling on Thanksgiving and breaking her back. Uh -huh. And so we, you know, our lives are busy anyway. I'm writing books, traveling and speaking. Um, I, you know, we are homeschooling our kids. So like we have a full schedule. So here we are taking care of grandma now. So, you know, at the beginning, she's in a back brace completely on her back. She can't even get out of her bed to use the potty chair. So we're, you know, changing diapers. I mean, total, total difficult situation waking up five times a night because she can't reach, she has dementia. So she couldn't oh. remember that she broke her back. So we had to have an alarm because she'd be calling to us, like not understanding like why she can't move mm. or get out of bed. And so, it, you know, here's in the middle of our normally <laughs> busy life, she broke her back and she can't remember. She can't remember that she broke her back. She can't remember she can't sit up and use the bathroom. She can't remember she can't go in and take a shower, all these things. But in the midst of that, here we are homeschooling. Her bedroom's right next to the dining room where we homeschool. We would sing her praising to Jesus. She'd be singing these hymns. She would be praising God. And every word of these hymns, like all five stanzas, she's remembering these. She's quoting scripture. She's praying out loud. She can't remember why she's flat on her back. I mean, we'd go in multiple times to tell her. And I'm like, this is, so that's another thing. Not only was it taking out the grumbling or focusing, but again, focusing on the praise, focusing on the gratitude. She had hardwired, she became a Christian, um, I think in her fifties. I remember I was, I was in second grade when she became a mm -hmm. Christian. And so um, she hardwired praise into her. So oh, yeah, she, I got my hair standing <laughs> on my arms. Yeah. 
So even when she's laying in bed, flat on her back, broken back, she's not grumbling about not being able to get up. She doesn't understand it all the way, but she's praising Jesus. And so that was like, God, I mean, that was nothing I wrote down when I thought about our year. (laughs) So the part, part of it is, yes, we look at ourselves more. We built that foundation. We understand the grumbling. We understand it's serious to God, but Mm -hmm. also we saw grandma like in that moment. And then other things during the year where we learned just what gratitude looks like, what being thankful to God, what worship God, even in the hardest situations looks like. So that that's kind of the things we come back to. And the kids will talk about that, about being grateful. They're like, yeah, like grandma, like it just, that got kind of got in their minds as we were going through this year. So even though there's times like we had the other night with my daughter grumbling, or I mean, throughout the day, someone's going to grumble about something, but it's just that sometimes they'll catch themselves. Sometimes it'll be a look. Sometimes I'll say, was that grumbling? Or sometimes they'll call out me like, mom, you're grumbling. (laughs) Um, Because we built the foundation around that in our year. It was just like something Mm -hmm. we worked on over and over and over again. And then we could all look back and say, okay, that was real growth. And now I'm like, oh, what else can we do that with? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say patience. I don't (laughs) Afraid, yeah. yeah let's not do that maybe let's go for a positive like joy yeah exactly <laughs> or something so it's interesting because as you were describing the the removal of and the insertion of so mm-hmm. I think of the passage I guess it's from Colossians take off the old and put on the new yeah and so you were taking off the grumbling but you were intentionally putting on the gratitude yes uh, and and that's so interesting to me in light of the fact that you were you were also describing your your daughter as she was grumbling because and it, in her case it was the anxiety for the party and i had um a counselor say to me again recently that anger is a secondary emotion mm-hmm. it's the and we've talked about that where it's that external i'm angry is coming out but there's something else going on inside and so I'm grumbling coming out. I wonder if grumbling is a secondary emotion. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> right? And there's something else going on in. And yet if we change the pattern to recognize, like, I don't think we can get rid of grumbling because if we could, I don't think the Bible would be filled with <laughs> give thanks as a, as a repetitive mantra again and again, praise God, give thanks, don't grumble. If it wasn't part of the human condition, it, 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 we'd be able to solve it already, but it's part of the human condition. And so we have to move into this gratitude. So what were some of the ways that you um, began practices during that year that have kind of stuck in terms of moving away from grumbling and moving into gratitude? Yeah, well, one of the things, it, it just came up through a conversation um, when we sat down and it was, it was the beginning of our year and we we figured out what our grumbling, um, e- how each person's grumbling style was. Oh. So it was so interesting because we were talking about grumbling and I talked about, it means like, goes back to this old French word that means muttering between your teeth. And I talked about, you know, the words I said, but also grumbling is an eye roll. And because, you know, I have... 14 daughters in the house. And so maybe they're not saying anything, but I ask them to do something and they're rolling their eyes. So then someone's like, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, but I do this. And this person whines. And so like the spontaneous conversation came out and we got a whiteboard and we all wrote down our grumbling styles. And I thought like, this will make everyone like feel bad, but they were all like, oh, I do this. I do this. And so really like some of them, like one of the little girls just whines. Like she's just, she's the youngest girl. She just kind of whines, but she's not getting her way. The older girls notice they, they'll stomp around and they'll roll their eyes. And mm-hmm. we'll just kind of like me, like just start complaining about that. You don't do this and no one helps me. And like kind of the martyr thing, but doing that helped everyone see like, okay, this is all grumbling. It's not just the words, but sometimes it's the attitudes, it's the looks. So that's one thing that we will notice. And I'll even, you know, see like someone slam a cupboard and I'll say, is everything okay? And they're like, oh, sorry to be grumbling. And then they'll talk to me about it. So just noting each person's grumbling style is something that we've like taken note of. And it's not like you're putting someone down, but you just realize like, how can I see what's going on and help this person or, or ask if they need to talk mm-hmm. about it. it just that has really helped us yeah. and then just going back to the, you know some of the scriptures um we memorize you know 
um, do not grumble or complain. I mean, that is just like a basic scripture and they'll, I'll hear them like repeating over and over again, like in their mind, like they'll start to complain about something like, do not grumble or complain. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we're just putting stuff into them, like their knowledge of how they react or interact with each other, their knowledge of scripture. Um, and then the one thing I think that really helped the most was um, under, teaching them that the, the fruit of the spirit is actually a result of them turning to the spirit in their lives. So the fruit, love, joy, peace, yeah. all those things is letting God have control in your life and in your heart. Cause right. we could try to act differently. We could try to not grumble. We could try to act better, but really it's saying, God, I feel like grumbling in this moment, but I need your Holy spirit in me to make me loving and joyful and peaceful and mm. not grumble. And mm. through the year they started journaling. And I, one daughter in particular would just write that every morning. Like I'd have, cause I have them write down a scripture and then pray for that during their prayer time. And every morning as she prayed aloud, she'd pray the fruit of the spirit <laughs> over her life. And because really that is the whole thing. It yeah. isn't about us trying in our own effort to do better. It's depending on God's spirit in us to change us from the inside out and help us to act in a better way. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. And, and that's been a theme in many of the podcasts that I've recorded for this season is that it's the abiding mm -hmm. in Christ that his love fills us. And, you know, think of John uh, 15 and the abiding, we, we are, are the vine and therefore as a part of the vine abiding in Christ, there is the fruit and the fruit is what the Holy Spirit produces. How often though, have we said, God, you know, I want to be more joyful. And then we go about a, a habit to try to become more joyful, but we don't ask, you know, the Holy Spirit to do that in us. We think we need to do it ourselves and be the producer as opposed to the Holy Spirit producing that fruit that comes through the abiding in Christ, which it's hard for an adult, never mind a, a teenager or a, a preteen to figure out how do you abide in Christ when you can't even really see him, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a challenge. But us as parents praying that the Holy Spirit would be alive and active in them is probably one of the greatest things that we can do as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just teaching them just the disciplines of spending time in the Bible, to writing out scripture, praying. I mean, we pray out loud just around our homeschool table when we get started in the day. And they, I'm like, if you just want to pray one sentence, it's fine. If you want to yeah. pray more, go for it. At least you can say, thank you, God, for this day. Yeah. And at the beginning, it is like, you're kind of just going through the motions <laughs> as yeah. you're training them. You um, are. They have Bible study books that they're doing and we've been doing it. And I noticed their attitudes got worse in the summer because we weren't doing these things. You know, mm -hmm. break, they're just sleeping in. So one of my daughters, even this morning, she's up at, they're supposed to be uh, up and started by 830 at seven o'clock. She's up. She's doing her Bible study. And her sister's like, why are you up so early doing that? She goes, I just makes me feel happy when I've been doing Bible study in the morning. I just feel so much happier. Wow. And so this has been, this is our, we're starting our third week of homeschool right now. And it was for the first two weeks, it was just something on her list that I was making her do every morning. It's like part of her schoolwork. Yeah. And then she realized like, I want to get up. I want to get early. I want to work on this. I feel so much happier. So when we start these things with our kids, we just think like, Oh my goodness, they're not going to get it. They're not going to find the joy in it. But once they are, doing those things yeah then they will get out of it like the same things we do when I get up in the morning I yeah. love getting up in the morning and reading my bible yeah so but we have to at first maybe make them <laughs> before they realize like this is something that is really beneficial to my life right I think that's so wise that you shared that because for some reason I feel like there's a common mindset in parenting that you know, will make our kids brush their teeth we'll make them change their sheets on their bed we'll make them change their underwear because they have to be taught how to do that. It's not their nature. Yeah. Uh, and yet when it comes to biblical things and, and the spiritual disciplines, we feel like we don't want to make them because suddenly now we're cramming God down their throat and they'll rebel, rebel against it. And, and yet there is the modeling, the, the practicing. You have that freedom as a homeschooling mom to say, I'm incorporating this into our day. And you know, at some point you'll grow up and you'll have to decide if you're going to do this for yourself, but you've modeled for them and impressed upon their hearts what you believe is important as a, as a child of God, just as important as brushing their teeth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Stewardship of the body and the mind. 
Yeah, I've struggled with this as a parent because my kids have gone to Christian school and I have I've wondered at times, do I require them? Do I not require them? And and it's been interesting how different teachers in their lives have offered challenges that have significantly impacted my children's faith and their choice to read their Bibles on their own. And, you know, out of my four children, I, two of them were significantly impacted to the point that they have a regular discipline of studying God's word, independent of what we ask of them as a, as a family. The other two, they don't, but they, one of the two is very private. So she might in a way that we will never know. Mm -hmm. The other one has confessed. This is an area of struggle for her. She doesn't feel it and she doesn't feel close to God. She believes it in her head, but not in her actions. And as a mom, I have asked God to give me um, wisdom specifically for her at how to come alongside her in a way that is nurturing and caring and, and challenging her to do it, even if she doesn't feel it. And the other side to give her freedom to kind of get there at her own pace and doesn't need to look like any other child or any other member in the family. And that's hard. Like that has come. I wouldn't have been able to respond to her that way five or seven years ago because of my spiritual and emotional immaturity at that time compared to where I am now, where I can say it's not even about me as a mom. Right. And so I feel like there's somebody listening right now that needs to hear that and be set free sooner and, and realize your kid's faith and how they practice it is not an indicator of your success as a child of God and as a mother. Would you, would you? Yeah, that is so good. And what I think too, um, cause I've noticed like, I want to make sure to take time to read out loud to them, read God's word aloud to them. I read a lot of the YWAM, um, Youth with a Mission missionary yeah. books too, because they're wonderful people of faith. And what I've noticed, like at first, they're like, it seems like they're not paying attention or they don't really care. Um, but it, I first realized this working with teen moms in our teen mom support group. I do these devotionals and I'd share scripture and share a personal story. Yeah. And they were like, they were look like they're on their phone. They're not paying attention. They're talking to the other people. But years later, they would say, remember that time you said that blah, 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 blah. And they're like quoting me. But I'm like, I don't even remember that. But yeah, that's the story I would tell, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and it came back. And so really that, that scripture where um, God's word does not return void. When right. we even read a chapter to them and it seems like they're not, it's not getting through. Or maybe like your, your daughter was saying, like, I don't feel connected. It's not connecting to my heart. Those seeds are planted. So when it, the heart opens and that connection is made, it's going to be there. And so yeah. just taking that time um, to read out loud, even if it's a chapter a day to our kids, where they, if, even if they're sitting there. And I've had moms come to me when I speak at conferences, like they are sitting there just rolling their eyes and they're so angry that I'm you know, making them sit there and listen. I'm like, but in you know years later you never know how those scriptures will impact them and i'm not i'm not saying like chain your child to the to no. the chair but after dinner say you know what there's something i've been reading today and this really inspired me and this is how it impacted my life and yeah. you know if we could, we could tie our personal stories our failures things that we struggle with to it it really makes a difference with our kids absolutely you what you just said made me think of a passage that We've not shared on the podcast before from scripture, but it has been coming to me over and over and over again. And our family kind of wrestled through it the other day. So I'm just going to go there. Um, Mark four talks about the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had been writing about it and meditating on it uh, from the perspective of our, the heart. And I was focusing entirely on the soil of our heart. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read part of it, but I want to set it up that this isn't about the soil of our heart as much as it is about our responsibility to scatter the seed mm. and, and leave God to do the tending of the soil. Of the oh heart. my goodness. I just totally got goosebumps right now when you just said that. <laughs> right. And because what I heard you saying is scatter the seed, scatter yeah. the seed. Don't get caught up on whether or not it's going in. That's not your job. Right. So I'm just going to read it because I love reading scripture out loud. I feel like the Holy Spirit does more with that than with our own little words. Yes. 
So uh, chapter four, Mark, I'm reading the NLT translation. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat a while. All the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. And let's just say a mama woke <laughs> up prepared to plant some seed. As I'm going to change this. As she scattered it across her home, some of that seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. Since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. They sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and the others who were gathered around, the, around he asked them what the par- they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning in this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The mama plants the seed by taking God's word to her children all the women that she will mentor, all the young men that she will pour her life into. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. I mean, there's something we pray against, Mm -hmm. right? The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Okay, so I have right outside my shed here, uh, we planted sunflowers in a different location than we had previously. The soil is so rocky that they originally looked like they were doing fantastic. And these are like five, six, seven feet high sunflowers that have grown and their stalks are like at least a half a dollar size large, right? But they have completely bent over. They're they're laying sideways. <laughs> and it was really a challenge to decide what do we do with them? Do we let them grow sideways? Do we stake them up? And my son decided that they needed support. So he got, without checking with me, got string and managed to stake them up. And I just look at that. Every time I walk into the shed, I get kind of weepy about it now because if this is regards to our children, mm-hmm. when, when they are struggling, what are we doing to come around to stake them up? We can't change their growth pattern. We can't uproot them and, and put them necessarily in another location to grow better. Um, but what does it look like to come around side them? And I think what you've done in the Grumble Free Year is coming around side them and saying, how does this habit live out the word of God accurately? versus just saying, well, this is what it is. They'll grow sideways. Right, exactly. Or just even, it's just a little thing, you know, because we've overcome anger. They're yeah. from trauma. Like, why do we even need to pay attention to this? Because look at all they've already come through. Let's just be happy that we've yeah. gotten as far as we can. But yeah. it's a deeper heart issue. And going back to that parable, it's yeah. if you even look at the heading, it's the parable of the sower. Yes. It's not the parable of the soils. It's the parable oh. of the sower. Yeah. I love that you just brought that out and read it and put mama in there because I think that is so true. I know. I know. And I'll keep reading here. So um, verse 18 says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Mm -hmm. I mean, the potential of our impact on our kids' lives as we remain faithful to the Lord and sowing out the word into their lives is the, the potential for a harvest that is far greater than we would ever 
be able to accomplish on our own strength as we trust God to accomplish that in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you talked about that staking up because there will be seasons in our lives where we will have to do that. And I'm, I'm thinking of my daughter who's a missionary now in the Czech Republic, okay. but like when she was, she started college when she was young. So she's 16 and she's in junior college. I think when she was 18, she signed up for theater and she was in a play that was not very appropriate. She didn't really tell us the theater play that they were doing until we showed up and we're like, Oh my goodness. Like she's singing and dancing. And we're like, this is something we do not. And you know, I could have been like, I failed. I shouldn't have let her start college so soon. Her whole life is going to be ruined. <laughs> you know? And it really through when going through it, she really got convicted, um, you know, going through it. Cause when she realized like, I don't want to invite my grandma to this and it just really God used it. Yeah. Life, you know, instead of like trampling her down and we're like, you know, you really just need to think about, like what you're representing by the choices yeah. you make. I know it was your theater class. Like we could have dropped the class early when you found out. You could have talked to us instead of hiding. I mean, so instead of trampling her down, we tried to point her to the right direction. Yes. Later, she ended up, you know, just realizing like that was a bad choice. And she became the most, um, at a different college, so she went to a four-year college, being the most active on campus, spreading the gospel, talking to people. She really reached out to a lot of international students. In fact, one student came up because she'd always sit in front of the library at this table and they said, um, oh, what, someone came up to her and said, what class do you teach? And she's like, what do you mean? I see you meeting with students all the time. Every time I come out here, there's a different student you're meeting with. I just thought, you know, you're an advisor or you're a teacher meeting with them. She's like, no, I go to school here. But she became so good about again spreading her own seeds and then yeah. late now she's a missionary so she lives in a different country um she's doing bible studies and she's a mom now has an eight-month-old doing mom's group and outreach and we could have totally just like at 18 thought her life is over she's making really bad choices yeah. and really trampled her down but just coming around side even when they are making bad yeah. choices realizing like that's a season that yeah. it can change but we need to come along around them and support them during that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love how you use that as an example. And you even said, it's not what we would want her to do. Like, we're not okay with this. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's a huge parenting struggle as you raise adults is that they're, they're making choices that we wouldn't make. And how are you going to respond to it? And there's a book that I'm reading by Peter Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy. He wrote a ton of emotionally healthy books. I'm reading the emotionally healthy leadership. There's also emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy woman. And one of the things he talks about in his book is this idea of shadow mm -hmm. that uh, we have like an inner kind of sin sometimes an inner insecurity and inner dialogue that we operate from without paying attention to the fact that it's always with us. And I think as mamas, one of our shadows is what will people say about me? How will this reflect upon me? What if they will judge me? And as I've walked through difficult situations with my daughters, uh, I, I have, been, that shadow has been very much exposed in my heart. And I, I worry, like, what does this convey about me? And the Lord keeps on reminding me and showing me and healing me through this of, uh, it's not about you. And, and that's yeah. where it comes back to this soil. Their heart is not a reflection of your heart. Their heart is their own heart in free will, free choice. They have, have to do their work with me that you cannot accomplish in them. And so you remain faithful to me. You deal with your stuff. You get healthy emotionally and spiritually so that you can respond as much Christ-likeness in you as humanly possible and let them figure it out and then offer, like you said, that, that feedback to your daughter offer that feedback. Hey, you know, if I was in this situation at your age, maybe this is something I would be thinking about now that I didn't know to think about mm -hmm. then. Can I offer this to you? Uh, and the more we do that, I'm finding that with my oldest, um, the more I say, I'm talking to you not as mom right now, I'm talking to you as mentor, just like I would to Natalie or to Amy or to whoever it is. Here's my thoughts on it. You're going to need to make a decision about how to carry that out. That disarms her from defensiveness, right? You know, I'm not, it's not about like you obeying mom or not obeying mom at this point. It's about using discernment and here's some wisdom that I can pass your way. Yeah. And also just asking questions helps too. 
I mean, like, what do you think about that? Like, why did you make that choice? Or, you know, I mean, you know, how do you think you could handle that differently next time? I mean, instead of, um, this was my teenagers too, instead of me always saying like, you should do this differently. Often they will come around when I start asking them questions, they will come around to the right thing. And sometimes they're just rebellious and they're not going to later they will, but you know, just asking them questions of what do you think? And then when they say, I don't know, well, you want to hear what I have to think about that? <laughs> you know, this, this might be something, you know, or the, I face this and anytime I can apply it to a way I messed up, something yep. I did wrong, which I write about all that kind of stuff too, so they know, yeah. um, or they see it because uh, they live with me, then I could, you know, give them help, but not as someone like, I know the way and you need to know the way, but I'm struggling along with these things with you. And this is yeah. what I struggle with. And maybe this is helpful to you. Um, yeah, they do. And I think, I, I love how you say just coming to them and um, like as a mentor and because, you know, they're going to be on their own. And yeah. not only are they going to have to make choices in the future, but they also have to deal with other people's choices. So mm-hmm. all son is 30 and, uh, you know, three years ago, his wife walked out of our mar- their marriage and moved in with someone else. I mean, it's just been the hardest thing. Um, and it wasn't his choice, but he still Mm-mm. had to live with the consequences and learn how to deal with it. And he was over as an adult all the time talking with us and how to cope with things. And um, so it's not just the choices they make, but it's a really hard life out there. Yeah. It's other people's choices. And we want to have that type of relationship. So when they are, you know, he was like 27 at the time coming to us, so that we have that relationship where we could talk about that and support him. Um, you know, I, I think if we're too overpowering and just trying to push our agenda too much, we're not going to be that safe place when hard things do happen to our kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll go back to the um, example in Peter Scazzaro's book. He has this thing called a genogram. And if you look at it, he has like basically five different communication styles that have been part of your family Mm. of origin and you you start looking at the relationships just like you would in a generational tree and and looking for patterns and one of the patterns that is pretty pervasive at least in my family is not really having the freedom to think differently and right. to to um it's not being a safe place to express a different opinion uh and so i i've noticed how that could easily become a dynamic in my current family and, and have apologized to the kids. I'm like, if I've ever made you feel like you didn't have a voice and you couldn't say what you wanted to say or think differently than us, will you forgive me? This is an area I'm going to work on because it's that, that process that will set the stage for that 27 year old son to come home and say, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on versus I can't tell my parents because what will they say? Right. So you, you know, that, and you also modeled life coaching. I don't know if, I mean, I know you've worked with a life coach. I have worked with a life coach. You've clearly benefited from uh, being asked open-ended questions to draw ownership and decision-making. I know you shared about that in the book. Uh, And so that process too, of learning how to ask your kids questions so that they make their own decisions as opposed to you making decisions for them. And one of the things I always emphasize when I'm teaching about biblical mentoring is, uh, yes, it's, it's good and appropriate to offer advice, but ask permission first. Right. So that there's buy-in and you, you just model that perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yes and yes, that's great. Great example. Well, it's because it works because I've tried plenty of other ways that don't work, trying to force my way, trying to get them to do things my way, trying to get them to listen to me. And that doesn't work. So yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, we've been all over the place talking about grumble free year and how to live out God's word. I know you had one verse that um, you, you wanted to share, which I just think is a perfect place to close us out. Um, so in uh, Philippians chapter two, Verse 14, you've said this in the episode, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. That's the NLT translation. I'm not sure. Does it say it different in NIV? Um, I have the, um, the, the Christian standard Bible is the one I have. And it, yeah, it just says do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless yeah. in a crooked and perverted generation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then verse 16, 
which is the application of it, of what we've talked about. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work will not be useless. This is Paul talking to the Philippians, but I love the, that. So instead, hold firm to the word of life, which is what we've been talking about doing of what does God say? How do we live it out? And scatter that seed with our kids, beyond our kids, in our communities, in those mentoring relationships, and let God do his work. It's so true. That, and that's really the foundation of all of this. Everything we've talked about, Yeah. scatter the seed, let God do his work. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> simple. So how can people find your book and, and take on the 12-month challenge? Yeah, well, the, my website is just trishagoyer.com. And then we're going to have a link there for the Grumble for Year. And we're going to have, I'm going to have a lot of resources there that they can take on the challenge. Um, we even have color sheets and scripture verses. What the scripture we just mentioned, I created a color sheet. These are ones that I did for my own kids. So they're going to be there. They can have all these resources for free to hopefully take on their own challenge with their family. Awesome. And when does the book release? November 5th. November 5th. Okay. I have no idea when this episode will, will release, but at least everybody who's listening has a mile marker. November 5th, 2019, the book will be available for purchase. And if you get to hear this before that, go ahead and pre-order it so that you can get it and start January, 2020. That's right. That's awesome. Would you mind closing us out in prayer? Oh, I would love that. Okay. Um, dear God, we just come to you now and I just thank you for everyone listening and um, hopefully there's something uh, that just really impacted their heart today. I pray, Lord, that even though these things like rumbling seem like a big challenge, that we just need to focus on you. We just need to turn to your word. We just need to scatter the seed. Um, and we just need to just be models for our kids. I pray that you will not let us um, shrink back from doing what we are called to, but we will do everything without arguing and grumbling and complaining so that we can shine bright in our homes and in our generation. I just thank you for everyone listening today. And thank you for Lisa too. And just her generosity of just sharing her wisdom um, with, with her listeners. I pray a blessing over her. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Trisha, for being with me today, being with us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the More to Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More to Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More to Be Sisterhood Circle member. You'll be blessed with our signature courses and resources while being a blessing to others. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link just for you.